Thank you for tuning into the Future of Health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence medical experts for insight and information. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at Providence and on Facebook under Providence Health System. Use the hashtag Talk with a Doc, that's hashtag Talk with a Doc, for a chance to hear your questions on our episodes. Hello and welcome. I'm Sherry Russum, Senior Manager of Communications at Providence Health. As a reminder, the information provided today during this event is for informational purposes only. If you have any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care provider or healthcare professional. So let's begin. Um, today we're going to be talking about our behavioral health urgent care and it's relatively new. It's only been here for a year and we have um, the two directors of the program here with us today. Uh, first of all, we have Laura Knapp, who's the director of Be behavioral health at Providence Northwest Washington. And then we also have Katie Gilligan, who's a psychiatrist and a beha the baby behavioral health medical director also at Providence here in the Northwest. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. So we'll get started um, by just, if you don't mind, just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the role that you have here at Providence. Sure. Like Sherry mentioned, I'm the director of behavioral health at Providence. So my role really includes uh, leading behavioral services in our clinic setting, uh, in our emergency department, and then also in our inpatient setting as well. And then recently in November, we opened a behavioral health urgent care. So that's also part of my role. Um, I'm a clinical social worker by training and background. And so I come to the work with a lot of experience, both in mental health, uh, but also a variety of social work services. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, so Katie Gilligan, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm the medical director for behavioral health for the uh, Northwest Washington uh, Providence Medical Group. I work in uh, the outpatient integrated care clinics. I work uh, seeing uh, patients in the hospital who need psychiatric consults, and I also fill in at the behavioral health urgent care. Okay, great, thank you. So Katie, I think I'm gonna start with you. Can you just sort of paint the picture for us about behavioral health um, intervention services and what the need is both nationally and the US as well? Yeah, yeah, so, so I mean, nationally and locally, um, even before the pandemic, we've had a real shortage of uh, behavioral health services. Um, now with the pandemic, we have you know, increased needs and a lot of decreased services in the community because of COVID-19. We know that locally, it can be a six to eight week wait for someone to see a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner uh, just to get medications for their, their condition. Um, we know um, like statistics show that about one in three individuals um, have suffered from a mental health or substance use disorder over the past 12 months. So we see this kind of, you know, huge need um, and limited services. So what happens is, you know, often with limited services, people, um, you know, can't get that care and then they're in crisis and they go to the emergency department, um, which is not an optimal place to get care. There's often long waits. Um, sometimes they don't have mental health services there and they're told to follow up in the community and then it's this cycle. Um, and so we do know that approximately one and eight, one in eight um, visits to the emergency department are for a behavioral health um, concern. So it's a lot of people 
Um, so we're seeing, especially in the past year, uh, kind of like increased demand, decreased supply. You're on mute. Okay, great. Thank you, Katie. Um, Laura, can you tell us then how, how was it that the behavioral health urgent care came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So as Katie mentioned, we're seeing a lot of uh, patients who are seeking care in our emergency departments because they don't know where else to go. And so about two years ago, we in the in Ever area had the opportunity to participate in a collaborative that was run through the Institute for Healthcare Improvement to look at how do we provide better care for patients who are seeking behavioral health services or in crisis and coming to the emergency department. And even further, how do we get upstream from that? What can we do in our communities to make sure that the right services really are available for patients and that they know how to access them? And so we spent a lot of time in that collaborative work, working with our community partners, reaching out and, and trying to say, you know, what can we do about the needs that we're seeing in our emergency department? And as Katie mentioned, we, we know there's about a six to eight week wait for people to access a medication prescriber around mental health. And, um, and our community partners were experiencing the same frustration that they have a shortage of psychiatric providers. And so even their own patients that they were already serving sometimes were uh, really struggling with the wait times. And we tried to get creative and, and say, you know, what, what could we do? Um, and in that collaborative, we were lucky enough to learn from a partner that was actually out of New York who had just started a similar program program for pediatric patients. And they were unique in the fact that they also were co-located on the same campus as their emergency department. And so patients could uh, present to the ED, see a provider in the emergency department, be discharged, and then even be walked up same day to access those services on site. Um, and so we modeled our care design after them and really focused on serving our adult population because that's the majority of what we're seeing here locally present to our emergency department. And as far as what, when you started that journey, that was a couple of years ago, right? Um, were you able to find any anything similar to what you have um, at that time other than in New York? We are starting to see very, very sporadically some behavioral health urgent cares across nation. There's not very many of them. And I always I always give the analogy here of when you think about if you get the flu or you have you think you have some sort of infection, you can drive on any street corner and see a, a medical urgent care. And so people know I can access an, an urgent care or a walk-in clinic for a medical concern. And we really are lacking that when it comes to mental health. And so we definitely are starting to see very, very sporadically, a few urgent cares pop up um, nationally, but not nearly enough. And I think it's really important when we look at the continuum of behavioral health services that we have sort of that alternative to the emergency department, that we have really robust uh, preventative services as well, and that patients know where to go in a crisis. Thank you. That, that's great information. So how has opening the behavioral health urgent care. It's been about a year now, just a little over a year, right? How has that benefited the community? And, and Katie, do you mind answering that? Yeah, yeah. So we opened the beginning of last November. So it's been um, about 13 months and um, we just looked at the data. Um, it looks like since we opened, we've seen a little over, um, we've had a little over 3,000 visits. Um, so it has been widely used, um, even without a lot of advertising. So we, we know that the need is there. And what we're, what we're hearing from patients and a lot of providers in the community is that they really love being able to tell people, you can go here. This is, it's kind of a safety net is how I like to think about it. 
you can go here if you're in a crisis. You don't have to go to the emergency department. If you're, you know, you can't get into your see your prescriber, you can go here because we have psychiatric nurse practitioners, we have social worker, we have a chemical dependency professional. So if you, you know, if you need to get bridged to counseling, if you're in maybe a crisis and you really need to talk to someone, or if you need medications that day, you can see someone for those services. Okay, great. Um, so tell me, if I were a patient and I were to come there, would I, would I need an appointment? No, I think that's one of the benefits of, of this clinic particularly is that it is same day, walk in, you can access care anytime that we're open. And it, it really is our ability, to, like Katie said, to remain that safety net because people don't know when they're going to have a crisis, right? That's right. This model. And so what happens when I come to your clinic? If I, if I were in a crisis, what, what could I expect? Yeah. So our clinic is set up as a very, I think the first thing I always tell people, it's, it's much like you would envision a medical clinic. And really, we put a lot of thought into making sure the environment was very calm and inviting. And so when you come in, you'll, you'll meet with a front desk person who uh, will get you registered. And, and then you'll actually end up meeting uh, with somebody on our multidisciplinary team. Oftentimes, that's actually our peer counselor. And a peer counselor is somebody who has had lived experience with mental health themselves. And so they'll check in, ask why you're there. And then depending on why somebody's presenting to the urgent care, they'll meet with a, a person who's appropriate for them on the multidisciplinary team. And Katie mentioned, uh, we have psychiatric nurse practitioners, we have a social worker, and then we also have a substance use disorder professional. Um, so depending on what the individual need is, they'll meet with our clinician, we provide that intervention. And then the, really the goal for us is to provide that stabilization and then connect patients to community partners for that ongoing care. And I think that's um, incredibly important about the urgent care because it's challenging to navigate mental health services in our communities. Um, and so you have clinicians who are very skilled in doing that work. They know the community partners and they can help with that navigation. You're on mute, sure. Okay, that sounds great. Sorry about that. Um, Katie, what differentiates this facility from other mental health care programs? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, when we think of, okay, if you have somebody who suddenly needs to see a mental health provider, the first question you get asked is, what's your insurance? Um, and I think someone in the comments mentioned about something about insurance. And that is a, a big barrier in this country to getting care. And some places will maybe only take state insurance, some places only take commercial insurance. And, and so, and if your insurance changes, you have to change providers. Um, we take everyone uh, regardless of insurance. Uh, so I think that is a huge difference. Uh, we'll see anyone who walks in the door. Um, and again, like you don't need to make an appointment, you can come in. And so a lot of times we'll, we're seeing people who maybe um, have, you know, because of those barriers, they're not getting care. And then now that they don't have those barriers, here they are. And, and it's been really kind of an interesting process to, to see those people. Um, we try to work really closely with our community partners um, to, you know, help with communication back and forth, uh, just to make sure that we get the best care possible for people. So like an, an urgent care for medical reasons, you refer them back into the community for follow-up care. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that was clear. All right. And sometimes because that wait is long, you know, sometimes we have had people come back, you know, maybe another, you know, another visit because they, they're still waiting to get in. Uh, but we've been really successful with getting people into 
outpatient services. Katie, when you talk about crisis, you're, you're seeing people come in needing intervention. What does that look like? What, what kind you know, of- there's a few different types, right? So there's people where something suddenly happens, maybe a death of a loved one or a relationship issue, and, and they're in acute crisis and, and need to talk to someone right away. Um, sometimes it's something that's kind of been building up and, and you know, some, you know, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, or there's one more thing and they just can't take it anymore. And, and then they're coming to talk with us. We have people who have been actually really stable. They just can't, maybe they've moved here or, uh, they just got out of jail. They can't get their medications and we help with that kind of process. So there's really a lot of different, um, of presentations to the urgent care. Um, we've seen lots and, uh, of just a huge variety, which actually makes it really fun. Oh, great. Um, Laura, how is the facility different from other traditional urgent cares or emergency rooms? Yeah, so I mean, I think what people can expect is that it's it's like coming into an office and sitting down with a counselor. So it's very, um, I guess, like I mentioned before, very calming environment. There's not a lot of equipment, right? I mean, this is really about having a space that's appropriate to, to meet with a clinician, a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist, or a social worker. And so a really comfortable, inviting environment. Okay. And then, you know, I, I know that um, COVID and the pandemic has really affected mental health for everyone. Katie, can you tell us um, what you're seeing with with the COVID impact? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously we're seeing um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of increased anxiety, people with a lot of worries about, you know, their, their own finances, their, you know, their overall stability. Um, we're seeing a lot of increased use of substances, alcohol and other drugs, um, a lot. And some people who have, you know, maintained sobriety for a long time, and, and maybe this is something that they've had a hard time um, with, with um, kind of returning to use. Uh, so we're seeing kind of a variety. We're also seeing a lot of people stressed out with their their kids being at home all the time and, mm -hmm. you know, too much togetherness. There's there's a lot. Um, the the great thing of about our urgent care, we stayed we have stayed open the entire time uh, throughout COVID. And some people who, you know, were nervous about coming into the hospital setting or coming into a clinic um, and exposure, we've been able to accommodate virtual visits. And, and that will probably continue, I would say indefinitely. I wanted to add one more thing too. I think one of the, the challenges with COVID that we're seeing in the community is that a lot of our community programs have either had to reduce uh, what they can provide because of COVID or COVID outbreaks. Um, additionally, a lot of them have gone to telehealth. And are some individuals that uh, telehealth works great for and then others where that's really challenging and it could be as simple as uh, they live a little bit more rural and they don't have internet access and so um, the benefit for us is being able to sort through those barriers with them and and again like Katie mentioned being a safety net during the pandemic has been really essential. And you you were only open a couple months since Providence Everett was the first hospital in the U.S. to see um, the first COVID patient, you weren't open very long. So how did you pivot? Yeah, I think this is really interesting because uh, as you all know, we, we kind of uh, had a soft opening when we first opened because we just didn't know what the need was going to be. And we, as soon as we started getting the word out about the urgent care, we saw a very increased volume and then COVID hit and everybody said, stay home and definitely don't go to the hospital. And so we saw a real reduction in our visits then. And then over time, as people have really struggled with 
um, some of the social factors that COVID has created, isolation, economic disparities, uh, grief and loss, now we're seeing those numbers climb back to where they were um, in that our, our biggest volume month in February of that year. And I think, again, you know, I think it speaks a lot to Providence that they have considered this service essential the entire time with the pandemic and to our clinicians who have been willing to show up every single day, knowing that there is a level of risk, um, but really leaning into our infection control, making sure we have the right practices and policies in, in place, as well as the right PPE to keep our clinicians and, and patients really safe while getting the care that they need. Um, and then Katie mentioned as well, it's also teaching uh, clinicians as well as patients that we can also offer this virtual visit if that's what suits them best or if that's what makes them the most comfortable. So uh, I love the fact that we're providing a hybrid model because I think that that really serves everybody well. Oh, that sounds great. Um, Laura, I know in particular, well, both of you, but Laura in particular, you have um, a passion around eliminating stigma. Tell us what that is, um, what stigma is and why it's so important that we eliminate it and what we can do. Yeah, I mean, stigma really is about being treated different because of some characteristic. And in regards to substance use disorders or mental health illness, it's due to having one of those. And we see stigma alive and well, unfortunately, in our communities. And it's really important that we begin to eliminate stigma so that people get the help that they need. Um, I think one of the things that COVID has shown a light on is that it used to be that mental illness or mental health wasn't something that we talked about as much. And now with the pandemic, you're seeing everybody is struggling with some level of depression or feeling of loss or anxiety. And so now I wanna make sure we're leveraging that, that we can all relate to the fact that mental illness and substance use disorders can affect anybody. They're treatable and we need to eliminate stigma because if we don't, what we see is that insurance doesn't cover these services that people need. Um, there's barriers to them. There's not enough services, not enough clinicians going into this work all related to the stigma. Um, and I really do believe that we're headed in a new direction and I'm really hopeful, particularly with how we are recognizing the impacts of this pandemic on everybody's emotional well-being. So tell me what we can do um, as your audience out here. What, what is it that we can do? How, how do we see this? I mean, are there myths that need to be dispelled? What, what, what can yeah. we do? Yeah, I think we just have to normalize talking about mental illness, talking about substance use disorders, and making sure that the language we use is appropriate, and we foster that hope. I always tell people, you start talking with your kids really early about what it feels to be anxious or when they're feeling low. Normalize those conversations. And then also normalizing some of the resiliency that we have to create and foster to create better mental health. The more we can do that, um, I think the better we will be off as a community. Well, that whole notion of resiliency, does that start only as a child or can you build that up as an adult as well? Yeah, I always tell people resiliency is not a characteristic. It's, it's sort of like a, a muscle that you can practice and foster and improve upon. And so, again, you know, if somebody is really struggling, we absolutely can use certain tools or uh, strategies to really bolster that resilience. So, Katie, I'm going to come back to you. If a family who's watching, a family member has a loved one who's watching today. What would you, what would you tell them? 
I, I would say one of the most important things is to reach out um, and, and to reach out as early as possible once you see any kind of like warning signs for, you know, severe depression, anxiety, kind of deterioration in mental health or increased substance use. And, you know, I was thinking it's really interesting. We all know all the signs, you know, symptoms of COVID, but you might not recognize the symptoms of depression coming on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those look like, you know, changes in your sleep patterns, changes in your eating patterns, you know, being less engaged or really like not enjoying things that, that you used to enjoy. So, so some of those kind of warning signs are important. And I would just really encourage people to, to get care as soon as possible. Sometimes that starts with your primary care provider. Um, they're usually well-versed in how to get you to the next level if needed or manage it on, you know, if they can. Um, you know, just like, you know, any kind of medical illness, you know, asthma or an infection, you know, it's really better to address those symptoms early on before things get overwhelming or cause, you know, serious harm. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, we are starting to come, we're starting to finish off with our time together. If anybody has any questions that you'd like to ask our two providers today, um, we're happy to answer those. Um, in the meantime, is there anything else that we've missed? Laura, can we start with you? Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or final, final thoughts? You know, I think the thing I want people to take away is that there's hope out there. Um, these illnesses are treatable and people get better. And so it's really about, again, that, that conversation that you're having with your loved one or even that you're having with yourself is that the first step is really asking for the help and that it does get better. Great. I would echo that. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love my job is because I do see that that huge change in people when they when they get appropriate care. So p can you heal from? Uh, yeah, that? and this become stronger, really. Really. Can you give us examples of that? Maybe not with a with a particular patient, but um, sort of a. Um, well, just tell us, how does that happen? And, and what have you what have you seen in your career, Katie? Oh, gosh, I mean, there's so many. Um, I think one of the best things is that when I see a patient that is doing well after they weren't, I mean, you see it affect every part of their life. Um, so, you know, their, their home life, their work life, their relationships with their kids or their, their parents. Um, you just see that that kind of cloud lifting uh, and 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 just huge changes uh, for the better when when things work. Okay, I think one of the things that I love the most about having a peer um, in the model of care, and I think we're going to start to see kind of nationally more peer models. Is it that it's that you know they were struggling with mental illness, or maybe maybe a particular peer is in a remission from their substance use disorder and they have recovered and they're thriving and then they're able to go on and help other people. Um, so I really love that about the peer model. I think it's just one way that we see recovery. It's great. And what's on the horizon for Providence? What, where are we headed? What's next? So we do have, uh, we have a new inpatient uh, psychiatric unit opening in July 1st. That's 24 beds. And we are hoping to also add a partial hospitalization program soon. Okay. And then additionally, I will just add, we added in our behavioral health integration programs, uh, we've added some therapists in our women's services as well as pediatrics. And 
continuing just to, to build and recognize and invest in mental health kind of across that continuum and really excited to be a part of all that Providence is doing. Okay, great. We do have a, a question that came in. Can virtual visits be scheduled online? And do you have to be in Washington in order to access our services online with the behavioral health care? That is a, a great question. So you do have to be in Washington. That's actually a Washington state law that you have to be in the state that they're receiving their care. Um, and what we have people do is call into the clinic, not schedule online, because again, this is a walk-in clinic. And so we always take patients first come first serve into the clinic. And so when you call, I'll give you a, the next appointment time in line. Do you anticipate that you'll be expanding services? If you could go over the hours right now, again, um, to let people know. And yeah. we'll, do you think that you'll have have more times like on weekends and those kinds of things? Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. So um, we are open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5 right now. And uh, we actually just received some additional grant funding to expand to a weekend day. And so we're currently in the process of recruiting providers for, the, for that expansion. And we hope to be covering weekends very soon. Okay, great. Well, that's all we have um, from this end. Anything else that I've missed? Okay, good. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming um, and being on today, Laura and Katie. It was very interesting. And for everyone who is listening um, and sending in questions, we do appreciate that. To learn more ways to work to be well and access free mental health resources and tools, please visit worktobewell.org. That's work with the number two, bewell.org. And make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and at Providence on LinkedIn and Facebook. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you all.